0: Good morning. I was trying to get my eyeglasses out and I ripped the whole earpiece off. There we go. Um, Glad that you are here. On the way in, they hand you the notes. You might want to get those out in just a moment. If you take notes, get a pen because there's some fill in the blanks. If you want to use our online version or if you learn best by just sitting back and listening, we want you to do what you uh, would enjoy doing and the way that you'll receive this the best. Um, We're in a series and our series is called In the Meantime. and The tagline simply has been this, what do you do when there's nothing you can do. And I've said this almost every week, that when I say it, I think people hear me saying, what do you do when you don't know what to do? And that's actually a different subject, a different title. This is what do you do when there's nothing you can do. Some of the ways it manifests, sometimes in marriage. Now, this isn't where we want our marriages to end up, and the message is not how to get your marriage in this condition, but the truth of the matter is, I know people who love God at times can find themselves in marriages that didn't go the way that they wanted them to go. And when they look around and they look at the future, they realize, gosh, it's not going to change anytime soon, and you don't want to cash it in. You don't want to throw in the towel. You don't want to leave. You're not ready to just say, hey, forget it, and I'll go someplace else. So you find yourself in a situation where it's just not easily changed. What does that person do? How do they handle it? Uh, maybe it's in your health. Maybe you've been diagnosed with something, and it's not fatal, but it certainly is serious, and it hurts you. And when you look at the future, you realize there's no quick way to change this. What does that person do? How do you make it through that? What goes on in that? Maybe it's with your kids. I've said this, that sometimes when our kids become adults, they make choices. They pick up lifestyles. They go after things. that Simply, it's not what we had hoped for, not what we wanted, but they're your kids. You're not going to walk away from them, but man, it causes conflict, and there's just such a tearing in there. So what does that person do? Because when you look at the future, you realize this isn't going to change anytime soon, if ever. Uh, Maybe it comes in finances. I mentioned a few minutes ago when I was talking about the offering, sometimes people find themselves in situations where their financial dreams aren't coming true. You simply realize, man, it's not going to change quickly. And if you could throw a switch, you would. You'd change it instantly, but you can't. And so when you look at the future, you think to yourself, for now, this is where it is, and I'm in deep, and I don't know how to change it. I had lunch with a guy this week, perfect example. Uh, he told me that back in 2007, 2008, um, he took out a loan on his house. I never heard the term before. He said, I got stuck in a predatory loan. Anybody ever heard that before? I guess it was a loan that, uh, that um, it, it's, it's, they, they tell you one thing, and then it's a different thing. And ultimately, here's what happened. His equity was sucked out of his house, and the mar- market went down. And so his net worth was negative. But this is what he said, and it's not an indictment against anybody who did it different. Please hear me say this. But here's what he said to me I didn't want to walk away from everything. I felt like I needed to walk through it. And as I looked at it, here's what he, listen to this. He goes, Now I'm coming into eight years of having to walk my way through this thing, and there's no easy way out of this. You know what he said to me? Uh, I'm trying to hear from God in this. Why waste a good prison sentence? Think about that for a moment. I mean sometimes in life there's things we can learn about God that we can 't learn in you know, any difficult circumstances do teach us more about grace than anything else, yeah, that's true. but they also can be a place where we kind of walk away from our faith. You get to choose yeah, kind of what you want to do with that and that 's what this message is about. what does that person do who finds themselves in a situation where there's nothing you can do now I had to have a little fun with this. I do it every series we do. One of the messages I take and I reverse it. So listen what I'm going to do today. What do you do when there's something you can do? What do you do when there's something you can do? Meaning this, what if you know God's put you in a position and it's not easy and it's not fun and it wouldn't have been the thing that you would have chosen, but you know God put you there and yet you have options. You could run away if you want to. You could change your mind if you want to. You you could go do something else, but you know God's put you there. How does that person make it through when God's told them to do something and it's not fun? You think that might be an interesting thing to talk about this morning. So I'm going to use different characters from the New Testament. We've looked at Peter's life. We've looked at Paul's life. We've kind of gone through and looked at different disciples. Here's what I want. I want to talk about Jesus today. Uh, Jesus found himself in a situation where everything he did was to honor the Father. In fact, Jesus said this, I don't say anything and I don't do anything unless I see my Father do it, or heard him say it first. And yet we find a place in Jesus' life where absolutely his, his desire and the Father's desire come down crashing at a crucial time. It's when Jesus is about to lay down his life. And maybe you remember the story. The one time Jesus asked the Father to do something different is at this point where he has to lay down his life. Do you remember his prayer? Father, I, if there's any other way, if there's a plan B, Let's take it now. If there's, if there's any other option, right. let's go down that. And then he says these very awesome words. Not my will, but your will be done. be done. Look, standing up here and saying that, it's easy. For you to sit out there and go, amen, it's easy. But how many of you know, if you've got to live in that place where God's called you to lay it down, right. and you can do something else, do you know how difficult it is to simply lay down your life and do what God wants you to do? Absolutely. And that's called maturity, and it's not easy and listen, some of you are like, yeah, but that's Jesus. I mean, he's God. He was also all man. Yes. And what he was experiencing are the things that we experience." And I would just say this to you. If you put him on the pedestal and say, well, we can never reach that, you actually don't understand the Bible. Because all of us, if you call yourself a believer, we're supposed to be maturing and becoming like? The answer, the answer is Jesus. I'm going to say it one more time. So when I get there, say Jesus. We're supposed to be maturing and becoming like? Jesus. Oh, I love it when you guys nail it like that. That just makes me feel like I'm a smart teacher. All right, we find this story, Matthew chapter 26. And uh, this is Matthew's version of the events. And I I chose Matthew simply because I felt like Matthew's, um, his wording here brings a little more out of it. So it's 26, chapter 26, it's verse 39, 42, and then 53 through 54. So this is after the Last Supper. This is after they've left the upper room. They've gone across the brook Kidron. They're now up uh, on the Mount of Olives, and they're praying. Remember, Jesus asked his disciples, man, could you just pray with me? This is difficult for me. I I, I just, I don't know if I can do this. Pray with me. And the disciples keep falling asleep on him. So, so here's, here's the story. We'll pick it up there. Uh, Jesus went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground praying My Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. So I I think this is such an honest admission. This is such a, uh, again, if the Bible is written uh, from the point of view of we're trying to fool people and make something up, man, Jesus goes through this as the triumphant, I can take on anything. But this is the reality of a person who's struggling right now with the thing that God's asked him to do. This is not easy. This is, I mean, imagine Lay down your life. And he knows this is why he came to the earth in the first place, and everything's led up to this. But all of a sudden, the pressure of having to do it is on him. And he's praying, God, anyway, anyway else, please. And then this sentence, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then the rest of it reads this way, right here. And then Jesus left them a second time and prayed again. So the second time he's prayed, Father, if this cup, if this, if this situation, if this difficulty uh, cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. And then he makes this statement. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly. In other words, man, I could ask God to do this, and God would let me out. He would give me the out. But then this part right here, it's just, it's so profound. But if I did How would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Just a thought for you. Are are you glad, if you're a believer, are you glad that Jesus didn't go with plan B? You and I, man, hang in the balance of his decision. It's a a powerful thought and a powerful decision. It's, in my mind, we read that, and you can just glance like like a stone that skips over a still lake, man. You you, you hear it, you read it, got it, but there... To be willing to lay it all down and to struggle with that having options here's what he says I have options but not what I want what you want in my mind that's the height of a mature believer right there it's a lordship issue it's a uh, it's a connection issue maybe maybe this is the way to begin I'll I'll show you a few things here but maybe I'm going to talk about the lordship issue in life who's the lord of your life I think if you call yourself a believer, most of us would say, well, God's the Lord of my life. If the Father's the Lord of my life, I would say this to you. I think in, in, uh, in purpose, and, and I think in, in our heart, but sometimes we don't live our lives that way. And I don't think the devil's the Lord of your life, and I don't think the world's the Lord, but sometimes we become the Lord of our own lives. And here's how we do it. Instead of, God, I want what you want, what we say is, God, I want what I want, because this will make me happy or this will be easier, or God, is just a better way for me to go. And ultimately, man, God loves us. Your ticket is stamped heaven, but his will and his purpose doesn't get fulfilled on the earth. God works in cooperation with this. people. You know, when it comes to lordship, God never comes into your life and demands that you make him lord. He comes and he waits for you to offer him the throne in your life. And how do we know? When we learn to bow the knee to his will, we're making him the lord of our life. Does that make sense? Yes. When we learn to say yes to what he wants and not what we when we put his choices first we're making him the lord of our life. I, somebody asked me, "Man, how? How do you how do you do that?" How, how do you move into that where you're you're willing to lay Here, here's what I would tell you. You you don't do it all in one. In other words, you don't live your life with you on the throne and then suddenly say, "Hey God, you're on the throne. I'll give everything." Here's how you make him the lord. You Bend your knee one day at a time over and over and over again so that when it comes to finally the big thing, you're used to doing it already. Does that you get what I'm saying? All right, so let me, let me maybe just uh, move into to this. Maybe this will help a little bit. Um, let, let me, first of all, let me, let me talk about the need to discern between what God's will is And what circumstances are. And I'm not sure that this is maybe the best way to do it. I'm trying to make it as simple as possible. Some people, uh, I I think there's two school of thoughts on God's will and circumstances. Now, some people just, they don't know how to hear from God. They have difficulty in hearing from God. And so here's what they do in life. Whatever the circumstances are, they just interpret that must be God's will. And can I tell you, that is the worst way to go through life, letting circumstances decide for you if it's God's will or not. So like when you go to buy a car, Uh, Here's how it would work out If circumstances are God's will Here's how you go to buy a car And you're presented with two colors Red and blue And if you think circumstances are God's will Here's what you have to God what color do you want me to pick Can I tell you God doesn't care what color you pick But pastor how do I decide Pick the one you like the most Angels won't sing from heaven But neither will a lightning bolt come down And blow up your car Doesn't matter now, if God did tell you pick blue, then what should you do? Pick blue. But gosh, it just simply, I mean, some people just get so confusing on, I don't know the difference. And then some people simply go through life trying to hear the voice of God, trying to recognize what He's saying, trying to live their life following what God's saying. So let me just say this to you three things. One, you can hear the voice of God. So I'm going to say it one more time, and I want you to agree with me because you've agreed with the enemy far too long. If you're a person who says, I can't hear the voice of God, you're repeating what the devil whispers in your ear. Amen. So say it with me right now. I can hear the voice of God. You agree? Yes. Yeah. So you can't hear the voice. Jesus said, listen, my sheep know my voice. You can learn to hear his voice. Does it sound like pastor's voice? I mean, is that Jesus' voice? Yes, It. No. Here, here's, Listen. You'll hear it in your heart. Here's the other way. Read the Bible. Yes, God has already written for us in most circumstances the way things look, the way things should be, and what his will is. And here's what I know. God won't say something different than what he wrote down for this reason. A house divided against itself can't stand. Amen. So you can hear his voice in your heart. You can hear his voice when you read the Bible. And here maybe becomes the easiest way to hear God's voice. If you've got good people around you, you can hear God's voice through the counsel that you're receiving, and vice versa. If you've got bad people around you, the devil will use that to influence you. Yes, true. Can I tell you one of the number one ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to me? Through my wife. I call her Junior Holy Spirit. Anybody? It's just the truth of the matter. I mean, she knows how to hear from God. And many times, I don't live my life according to, hey, Chris, tell me what to do. There's many times when I'm making a decision or I feel like God said something, man, she's a confirmation of that or she'll bring such wisdom to it. So you can hear God's voice. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says that when our minds are renewed, the transformation that takes place is that we're now able to know God's will. And here's what the Bible says about God's will. It's good, pleasing, and perfect And so if you ever find yourself in a situation where you're like, man, I think God's will is terrible. You need to question whether or not you're really getting God's will. But I didn't say God's will is always fun. And I didn't say God's will is always thrilling. God's will can be difficult at times. God's will, though, ultimately will lead to peace and joy and life. You want to do God's will. The blessing is huge for you. All right, let me just, let me enter into this. I'll give you three things that I think work with the idea of what to do when there's something you can do. Remember, here's who I'm talking to. The person who knows God has told them to do something, but it's difficult, The person who's put in a situation where you've given your word to something or you believe that that God's will was to do this, and now you find yourself, it's difficult, but you have options, how does that person stick and do what God's told them to do? So let me give you three things that I think are really crucial in this. The first one is, learn to answer this question, what has God said? Settle this issue. What has God said? All right, Genesis chapter three talks about the enemy, the very first time he deceived mankind. The enemy doesn't have any power to come into your life and to stick you up. The enemy can't come in, tie you up, and make you do anything. He has not been given the power to put his hand in the back of your head and move your mouth. The enemy can't come in and and, uh, compulsively force you to do anything. But here's what the enemy can do really well. He can lie to you. He is the world's greatest liar. And somebody might go, a lie? I mean, come on, pastor. That can't be. Lies enslave millions of people every day. Governments can use lies in order to enslave people. Uh, Military uh, uh, around the world, there are militaries that have bought into a lie and they kill millions of people based on a lie. Lies are powerful. And here's the point about a lie. When the devil comes and talks, his power is in how well he can talk. And you empower it in your life when you listen and agree with the liar. So let me show you how it worked with Eve, because this is really, really interesting. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And the serpent had agreed to allow the enemy to use him this way. So he said to the woman, look at the sentence right here. Did God really say... Now just stop and think about this. This is the original lie. This is how the devil still works in your life and in my life. He comes and he simply begins to lie. Did God really say it has to be that way? I'll give you a great example. And I have permission to share this. It's not a random story. I'm not just up here preaching and it came to my mind and I'm going to expose somebody. I have permission to share this story. A few years ago, I had a guy, uh, married, no children yet, uh, going to church and he had to travel a lot for business. And while away on business, his marriage wasn't in a great place at the time. While away on business, the devil came and spoke these words. Did God really say you have to be... You listening? You had to be faithful. Did God really say that your marriage was for life? Did God really say that you gave your word. Did God really say that it's only supposed to be between one man and one woman for the rest of your life? Did God really say that? Uh, So, look, it's easy for us to point to that situation because maybe that's not the one that got you, but you realize when the devil tempts us, that's exact. Did God really say that you have to keep your temper under control? Did God really say You have to treat people better than you treat yourself. So this guy listened to that. And he opened up his life to, um, well, maybe he didn't say it exactly that way. And this is what happened. The guy has an affair. But doesn't end there. Comes back from the business trip and then schedules an appointment with me and his wife. So in my office, the two of them are sitting there and the guy, this is what the guy says. Hey, on this last business trip, I met the woman of my dreams. His wife's hearing this as I'm hearing it. And the Lord told me that it was okay. And I'm going to leave you, and I'm going to marry her. That kind of stuff doesn't happen, does it? So Again, easy to point at a sin that maybe you and I don't struggle with. Did God really say Fill in the blank. So I looked at the guy. Normally, my mind doesn't work. I usually like to be nice to people. It doesn't pay to be mean to people. I'm a pastor. I want to be nice to somebody. But I found this thing well up inside of me where I felt like, God, I need to say something to you, but I don't know how to say it, so I just said it. And here's the words that came out of my mouth. I said, you are deceived. You're deceived right now. Because God clearly says that you don't do this. And now you're telling me that he said something else. Therefore, that's a house divided against itself. And just like if I stood up and said, we're going this direction, but then everything else I did was to go this direction, our church wouldn't make it. Do you agree? A marriage can't make it. A friendship can't make it. Nothing can make it if it's divided against itself. So God doesn't do that. So you're deceived. To the guy's credit, listen to this. Now I'm compressing time. To his credit, he repented. To to their credit, she forgave him, and to what God's glory is, that couple reconciled, and they're still married today. Now they have kids. They've gone forward. But I'm just telling you, when it comes to this issue of doing God's will in a difficult circumstance, something that your flesh says no, something that you have options on, something that you know is God, but your mind tells you, ah, this would be better if you went this way, but you know that's not what God wants, man, how do you do it? What has God said? Settle the issue of what God has said. This is why it's important to hear from God so that you know this is the direction I'm supposed to go so that the devil can't come in and talk you out of it and so that another person can't come in and mislead you. How about this when it comes to... Go back to that scripture in Genesis real quick, guys. Uh, let, me, let me show you this. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Did God really say, question mark, Do you know how this could have ended really well for all of us? Yeah. So think about this. What's the one thing she could have said that would have shut the whole thing down right there? Yes. One word, begins with a Y, three letters. Yes. Good night. All she had to say was, yes, that's what he said. Yeah, sure I, apparently this is going over your heads. It's, it's just too great of truth. Let me. Let, if she says yes, to, if she doesn't allow the enemy to begin to pull her away from what God said, if she doesn't doubt if she doesn't crumble, if she just simply says, that's what God said, tell me what happens. The whole thing gets shut down. You agree with that? So let me show you this. Um, this is from the book of James. Uh, a person who doesn't settle the issue. A person who allows themselves to ask the question, to, to simply begin the debate, to, to pray for a different answer. Here, here's what the book of James says about a person who does that. When you ask something of God, you must believe and not, what's the word? not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Look at this sentence. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. God, that's a tough sentence right there. But when we ask ourselves, man, why? How many of you want the promises of God in your life? How many of you are like here this morning, I want to recover and discover all that God has for me. That's why we're here. We want God's promises. Yet here, the Scripture tells us, if you don't settle the issue on what God said, you're going to be a person who is tormented, and you're well. Maybe I don't. And then that person never receives from God because they didn't stand on God's promise. Amen. Am I making sense to you this morning? God, this is such a critical issue. Now, some of you, look, look. Make sure that you understand me this morning. Some of you right now are going to hear this message and measure it through your life. Oh, I made bad decisions. I will say this so that you understand. I am the chief among sinners in the room. I have made terrible decisions in my life. I have let God down. I have done things that I regret doing. Here, pastor, how could you do it? How could you do it? You want to know how? You were born. That's how you're a human. Here's the bigger question. When you're a believer and you let the devil persuade you another direction. The question is not how. Here's the question, why? What condition was your heart in that you allowed the enemy to come in and begin to question what God said? So I'm going to say this to you in a more sophisticated way. You might want to write this down. When you have to keep praying about something that God has already made clear, you're on the road to deception. Let me say it one more time. When you have to keep praying about something that God has already made clear, you are on the road to deception. Here's what I mean. If God's already spoke it, but you want to keep praying about it, you're already open to try to find a different answer than what God said. Does that make sense? And by the way, you'll get a different answer. You'll find the one that you want if you can't settle the issue of what God said. It's a crucial issue, man. It's an important issue. And rather than measure your life by how many times you've made a mistake with it, measure it right now. God, I want to commit myself. What you said is what I want to do with my life. So let let me just... Look, I know it's not a rah-rah message. I know it's a deeper message. I know... Here's what I told my staff. Not everyone's going to be able to receive this. When it comes to the lordship issue, not everybody's ready. Look... Lordship and salvation are two different issues, by the way, too. Salvation is a work of Jesus, and you believe you're going to heaven. But the life that Jesus promised you, the abundant life that he promised to bring to you, is contingent on your cooperation with God in this life. It is contingent. And for you to stand on the promises of God and not waver in that and say, my life, man, this is what God said and this is the way I'm going, it is crucial. So let me give you the second one. Just say, Who's the Lord of your life? And I think every person in this room who believes will say, well, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Let me, let me get technical with you. Who sits on the throne in your life? Who have you made the Lord of your life? So Matthew 26, 39 is just simply Jesus' famous words. He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. If there were any sentence that proves lordship, it's that sentence right there. Okay, I want to do this. It's okay to admit it. And this is difficult for me, and it's not the way that I want to go. But I'm not going to choose what I want. I'm going to pick what you want. That's lordship. Does that make sense? All right, I'll explain it to you this way. See if if you can follow this. Every kingdom has one common denominator. Think. Every kingdom has one common denominator. What is it? Every kingdom has a king. Agreed? Okay, and here's the way it works in any kingdom, including the kingdom of God. When you bow your will to the king, you get to enjoy the benefits of the kingdom. Does this, you follow me? But if you won't bow your knee to the king, it doesn't affect your salvation, but it does affect you enjoying the benefits of the kingdom. I'll give you a demonstration in America. We live in the home of the free and the land of the brave. I think it's the greatest country that's ever existed. I love this country. This country is uh, the opportunity that it provides and what God's done for it. I love this country, but this is true. There are people who are born free but will not bow their knee to the laws of the land. Yes or no? So in a free country, there are people locked up today a few miles from here who are Americans. When they die, they will die as American. It will not change who they are. It will not change what they are. But it does change their ability to enjoy. You and I are going to go home today, have a great time. We're free. But there are people who live right next to us who are not free because they will not bow their knee to the laws of the land. Do you agree with that statement? The kingdom of God is exactly the same. And here's what people think. Oh, as long as I'm bored, God will give me everything. No. He expects you to bow your knee like this, making him the Lord of the life. Then you enjoy the benefits of the kingdom. Uh-huh, do you get it? Yes. Well, that's easy to do, right, Pastor? Nope. <laughs> I mean, I, I could think of several times in my life where um, the necessity just to embrace what he was doing. It was not the way I wanted to go. So I'm gonna tell you, this embarrasses me. I'm ashamed of this. I, it just, I, I, when I think back to where my life was at the time, it just embarrasses me. Uh, so early on in our marriage, um, two little kids called to ministry. So we were going to Bible college. I had a young wife with two young kids. I'm trying to be a good dad and a, uh, a good husband. And I had to work a full-time job in order to make it all work. And we had moved back to Louisiana in order to go to school to do this. So this, is, this goes back about 30, 33, 34 years. Uh, and here's, so here, here's the, the nature of, of how this looked. The only job I could find that would allow me to kind of set my own schedule so I could take care of my wife and kids and go to school, I had to work for Orkin, O-R-K-I-N, the bug people. Now here it's not such a big deal, but back there, you're like, you know, there's a sports player and the guy that kills bugs. To, oh my goodness! <laughs> and here, here we're smart enough to build a house on the ground, but back there they build them off the ground so that when you crawl under them to kill bugs, you can meet all sorts of snakes and spiders and great things like that. Yeah, and I have to put these coveralls on every day with this big orchid patch. And people were like, hey man, uh, where are you going in the future? I'm going to be a pastor. As I crawled underneath the house to kill bugs, man, I hated that job. I I despised that job. Every day I thought, God, I I hate. Do I want to go back home? This is not worth this. This is so embarrassing. This is so. I hate. I'd be spraying chemicals and breathing it in. I'd be praying, Jesus, please protect me. <laughs> listen to this. Just just listen real quick. I had choices. I could have said it's just simply too hard and it's not worth it. I wouldn't have lost my salvation. God wouldn't have loved me any less. But I believe this with all of my heart. I wouldn't be standing here right now. Look at me. I wouldn't be standing here right now. So let me say this clearly so you understand. I would embarrass myself in any way I had to to be standing here right now in front of you doing what I'm doing. John. I would shame myself to have the friends, Kathy, that I have in my life today. Church, listen to me. At the time, doing God's will, it wasn't fun and it didn't make me happy. But it paid off in the greatest way it could possibly pay off. But if I looked at the time and said, God, is there any fruit from this? You know what I would have seen? Dead roaches. Laugh at me. Maybe you don't get what I'm saying right now. I think sometimes we think if I serve God, everything in my life is just going to get better, 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 better. I think God's will for your life is joy and peace and righteousness and reward. But it's not always instantaneous in your life. Sometimes there are difficult paths we walk. Listen, you come to a place in your life now where having to lay down things is not as difficult as it was. To, how did I do it? You learned to bow your knee one day at a time so that pretty soon you're like this. And when God asks you to do something, if you learn to do this, it's a lot easier on the big things. And people think to myself, if God ever asks me to do the big thing, I'll do it. I'll tell you this. If you can't do it in the little things, you'll never do it in the big things. That's true. That's true. Am I? Are you no, thinking or am I, am I getting across? I worry about that sometimes. Well, uh, no, you're getting across. Well, I know to you. Okay. Are you just like... I know, I see everything you're writing over there. Regardless of what happens, I always feel good when I look at you, bro. That's the, uh, love that. So let me just give you the last one, man. Keep your eye on the price. I'm out of time, so I just, I need to wrap it up. Keep your eye on the price. Uh, Hebrews 11:26. 26. Let me show you this. Inter- I'll show you two things with this scripture. It's really interesting. Um, if they can, I don't know if they can go to it. Here we go. This is talking about Moses. And I don't, Picture this real quick. Moses didn't live when Jesus lived. Jesus is born 2,000 years after Moses. But I want you to look at this scripture. Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of who? Moses didn't live when Jesus lived. So either this is a really bad mistake that the Bible's been busted in, or it means something that we've never contemplated before. Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was what? Looking ahead to his reward. All through the Old Testament, the prophecies that Messiah was coming have been there. Moses would have been fully aware that Messiah is coming. So Moses, even though he couldn't see Jesus, you and I have it so much easier than Moses did because we know But by faith, Moses knew, Messiah is coming, and I would rather serve him than serve Egypt. So if I have to embrace disgrace, I will do that in order for God to reward me later on in my life. He kept his eye on the prize. Here's what the Bible said about Jesus going to the cross. For the joy set before him, he was willing to go to the cross. He kept his eye on the prize. How does a person embrace a difficult situation when you have choices Keep your eye on what the reward's going to be when it's all said and done. That is a difficult thing to do because this generation and our society lives for today. What makes me happy? We elevate happiness above everything else. And here's what we say. Surely God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. What a false statement that is. Well, it's not God's desire that you be unhappy... Here is God's desire that ultimately you make it to the prize that he set before you. And while it's not a message that most people go rah-rah about, this is maturity in Christianity. This is what a mature believer does. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself and take up your cross. How does that fit in? Every day, bow your knee. Every day, make him the Lord of your life. Every day. Every day. So what I would recommend or encourage or try to lead you toward today is asking yourself, who's the Lord of your life? It's not in my head. Who sits on the throne of your life? So maybe the Lord puts his finger on things that, hey man, I want you to stop, fill in the blank or I want you to embrace fill in the blank or I've talked to you about this a long time ago and you reasoned away what I said would you go back and pick it up what would the father say to you about this message and when it comes to the will of God I would just say this to you man until you do it you get stuck and then we end up just stuck in a place in life And we're praying, God, what's wrong? And it may be as simple as just saying, I need to bow my knee to the Father right now. Make him the Lord of your life. By the way, it doesn't happen one time, one decision. I believe it's a lifetime. It's a day-to-day thing of bowing your knee. It's an over and over again thing. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Be the Lord of my life. So Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to stand here today. Hey, church, listen to my prayer of thanksgiving. Listen to what's in my heart. Father, thank you for putting me on a path that was a little more difficult so that I could be in the place that I am today. God, I would not trade what you've done in my life for not having to do difficult things back then. I would not trade the position you put me in this weekend for the pleasures of sin that come with this world. God, I would not trade what you've done in my family so that I could have gone out and done what seemed to be fun or easier in my life. God, I am thankful for what you've done in me and I embrace I embrace the road that you put me on. Sometimes it's been absolutely wonderful and sometimes, God, it didn't make any sense to me, but through it all you were faithful And it's easier to see your plan through distance than sometimes it is in the immediate. Church, I've said it a hundred times. When you cannot see his hand, trust his heart. And his silence doesn't mean absence, anger, or apathy. And difficulties don't mean that God has abandoned you or that the plans and purposes of God aren't true. And knowing the difference between what is circumstances and God's will is crucial, because if it's circumstances, do whatever you want. But if it's God's will, bow your knee. Father, we just give you the right to speak to us this morning. And in fact, um, Lord, it's beyond that. We need you to speak to us this morning, and we want to do what you have for us. God, we want to mature, and we want to become like Jesus. And Father, deep inside of me, that's my prayer. Church, is it yours? I want to become like Jesus? I want to become like Jesus? God, I thank you for that now. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.